We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Moving down and moving up early in Dynasty Startup Drafts. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretchen from my newsletter at bengretchen.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work at Rotoviz. And we talked a lot about Dynasty lately. We are going to start drafting some best ball leagues soon and have some, some best ball draft shows. One of the things that I said to you, Sean, after last show that I love about these shows is even people who don't play Dynasty, I'm, I'm hoping you guys are still listening to them because I feel like we get more in-depth about our thinking, not just in terms of like who we might like at current cost or something for redraft, but in terms of what we think about these offenses, where they might go. We're talking more about the range of outcomes. We're talking about what might happen with the league and how that then relates to individual players when we talk about dynasty. So yeah, a lot of the conversation is very specific to if you're playing in a dynasty league, but I think the football and player analysis, we're probably in these shows tipping our hands even more about the guys that we like and that we like long-term, why we like them. Is it situation-based or is it something that we really love the talent? So anyway, hopefully the, the people that are getting sick of hearing us talk about dynasty all the time are at least getting something out of that element of it. But you and I are both doing startups uh right now and and we were talking a little before the show and there's some fun stuff that's happening in both yeah and i'm excited to get into some of these rotoviz triflex startups the one that i actually was looking at was a league that a listener had sent me sort of his startup results in that where i'm not sure how many rounds they're through but he has kyle pitts cd lamb Devonte smith and sky moore and again, I mean, you mentioned sort of this player-specific analysis element. Obviously, we like those four guys. We like that as a foundation for a team. One of the things that people talk about, and we talked about some when we had Peter Overzet on the show, and he was very good and very interesting with it, is this concept of, you know, are we sort of moving to a post-player fantasy time period where the focus now really is on the structure? and how you need to approach these different formats to give yourself a big leg up to winning them. And there are some huge advantages that you can get. I mean, so much of what we did last year early on with sort of our evergreen setup was 
to look at different formats and look at the structures that would allow you to, if not dominate, at least have a very significant advantage. And so we believe very strongly in that. And yet, at the same time, I think you and I also believe very much in certain players. And we did some shows on player talent. And obviously, it's kind of this talent skill mix. It's, in many cases, kind of this nebulous ball of abilities that makes a player who they are at the NFL level. And we tend to emphasize that at the cost of workload. Now, it's not that we ignore those types of things. And you see the NFL draft and you look at where these guys go. Obviously, that's very, very important. We're going to move some guys up and down because the opportunities that these players have are, are going to be strikingly different in some situations. And that has to come into play. But you're also going to see that reflected in ADP. And so when you are on the clock in your different leagues, whether it's a dynasty startup or it's a best ball draft, you're going to be making choices on players who, for the most part, are in the same general range in terms of what their opportunity, at least in the first you know, two to three weeks of the season. We talk a lot about how that can change, right? But the first two to three weeks of the season, and then you want to kind of go beyond that and make sure that you're drafting a full team worth of players where you think that they have quite a bit of room to outperform that ADP, the big win, the small miss, as, as you often put it. And once you combine that with the structure, then you're going to be in very good shape to come out ahead in most of your leagues in most years. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have a season where a number of specific scenarios play out or maybe a narrow path for a handful of players that you were not on actually does play out and you have a bad season, right? It's not that... That is impossible, but most of the years and kind of your top end results on your good years, you're going to be in very good shape. And so I think that that part of it is interesting. I like the way that you kind of phrased the intro there in terms of these shows, I think are very relevant to best ball and redraft startups. I think they're relative, they're relevant to auctions. If you're in that kind of format instead of a draft, because a lot of things that we're trying to do in these drafts you can do and really exaggerate in auctions to get the players that you want and get the best values that you can so all of that said those four players and then has five first round picks and three second round picks already acquired for the 2023 draft which there's always a possibility of this draft disappoints a little bit but there's a lot of enthusiasm for it at this point now this listener only has four more picks in the first 10 rounds and they are late They're the nine and then three tens. And so you're going to come out of those first 10 rounds with only the eight selections. You're probably going to come out with only maybe the two foundation pieces in lamb and pits, but then a couple other young wide receivers that you like. But one of the things Ben, that we've been talking about here and does inform what we want to do in terms of trading back. And I know this is going to factor into the startup that you're in and some of the moves that you're making, but the three, four, five, six, seven, a lot of still very good players there, but that also actually, extends out to rounds nine and 10. So I expect him to get four more good guys here and have a, a nice eight person start. Then you look to take some of these favorite sleepers late. And then, you know, you come through in 2023 and it would not be surprising if that is the best team immediately in 2023 with the approach that he's taken. I really like how he started his draft. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about that many picks in 2023, there's a lot of flexibility. We talked on a recent show about how we used a similar war chest to, to navigate our rookie draft here in 2022. 
after a 2021 startup. Obviously, the 2022 class, rookie class, not viewed as favorably as 2023 is expected to be. At the same time, I think that's you know often a little overblown. Or I, I had that discussion with somebody the other day, just in the sense that, I mean, this isn't really relevant to the point, but there's still players in 2022 that we were excited about drafting. And so one of the things in the startup I'm currently in is I initially had a little bit of trouble trying to get people to part with 2023 first. And so my pivot was going to be to take a lot of the 2022 rookies in the startup. And if that can be done affordably, then, I mean, there's still a lot of players in the 2022 class that I want to have and you get the extra year of, um, of knowledge. And if those players are good, like if you take a, obviously Brees Hall is sort of the, you know, the one-on-one is, the, is sort of the poster boy of the class. But if you take a Brees Hall and he has a good rookie year, he's worth more probably than a first round pick next year. I mean, that's one of the things that happens is these players grow. If you have, you know, a Jamar chase this year, you can get, if you wanted to trade back into the 2023 first, you should presumably get more than just a 2023. You could get the one-on-one and then, and then some, right. And so if you were to have, you know, been in the 2021 class, obviously that was a, a good class. And so, you know, we're still in this conversation of good versus bad, but, when you have a rookie that hits, even if you look at a, a Jalen Waddle or what have you, or an Elijah Moore, and they have a good rookie year and they're viewed very favorably going into year two, there's a lot you can do to then use that player to get back into, you know, a future draft if you want to and accumulate that way. So there's various ways to accomplish these goals. The startup is obviously the most natural fit if people are willing to move their future picks. And so that listener being able to stockpile five 2023s and three first and three seconds you said i mean that's that's a ridiculous set of picks they're gonna have a lot of fun in the rookie draft next year you have to be willing to just basically punt off the first year which is a little bit annoying i mean that's not that's super super fun and in the triflex format that he's in which i i again i just think it's just fantastic you're not going to guarantee yourself the 101 by scoring the fewest points and winning the fewest games there is a competition for that sort of the toilet bowl portion of it and you're going to get a buy so you're going to get the 103 or the 104 but you do have to go out there and i like that part right i don't think that a team should be able to guarantee itself the 101 by being awful uh, that part doesn't doesn't really work that well for me but it's still a, a great situation you're going to get a top four pick if your team is bad and one of the things here too is that there is it's an outside path, but there is a potential for this team to hit on a bunch of guys, be good. And then, I mean, you think about teams that are trying to win now and they move their 2023 first to get that key piece to go into the fantasy playoffs. He could do that and would still have four 2023 first left, right? So in the, the rare case where you're actually competitive, you could move some of that value back into this year and still have a ton left over. Yeah, he just keep that optionality open, which is fantastic. And I loved your comments about sort of the toilet bowl or the consolation bracket where you have to win that to get the one-on-one. I think that should be the standard in basically every dynasty league because it, it just that one thing alone, think about it, it immediately disincentivizes the extreme tanks, right? The the ones where the, the team is just clearly not even trying to be competitive because they want the one-on-one and they're, they're building in a long-term way. Maybe they just, maybe it's super flex and they, they basically wiped out their quarterbacks and they have some interesting pieces. They could win if they wanted to, but they're like, I'm going to have no quarterback production until I get this one-on-one pick that I really like. 
that's one fairly easy way to, to ensure that you're going to be pretty bad is if you basically don't have any starting QBs. And Ben, the other part of that, that you and I were talking about a little bit before the show are these trades. We talk a lot about how you need to be trading. You need to be active. It needs to be a win-win. You're not trying to exploit the other manager and it will be a loss for the other 10 people. And that that part of it, you know, very straightforward and I think very justified the trades that get pretty frustrating within a league are the ones that are a clear win loss because then 11 of the, the people lose and, and the one person benefits. But then there's also this trade dynamic where it's this tiny little win for one of the teams and it's a massive win for the other team. And I think that also rubs people the wrong way. And it creates a dynamic in the playoffs where maybe now you've had some damage just to the sort of integrity of the, of the league. And if you have to compete to win the one one I think that that, disincentivizes and makes that kind of scenario less likely because you're not going to be moving a piece that only helps you a little bit but helps someone else a lot but also then makes it more difficult for you to actually win the toilet bowl and win the 101 which you should be trying to do right it's that it's that difference between tanking or building for the future and like extreme tanking where you're making your team so bad that it can't win because you still need to be good enough to, to win because you want to get that one. There's a lot of value in getting that one one as opposed to the, you know, the one Oh four, like you said, even if you are the worst team and you get a buy in that consolation bracket, if you can't win either of those games in the consolation bracket, the best you can get is the one Oh four. So you don't want to go that extreme with things. Obviously you need to be able to at least score points to win that consolation bracket. That is a yeah. That's that's an element that I think needs to be in more dynasty leagues and should be going going forward. As we've seen, sort of super flex and tight end premium become more the standard, and a lot of different changes become more the standard in dynasty that have been good overall, even just over the years that I've been playing it, which is not particularly long. But we've seen sort of a or I've noticed a maturity in the way that the leagues are structured. That seems like a very clear ad for most leagues. But Sean, the startup I was in, we talked on the last show about my trade with Davis Maddock to go acquire Patrick Mahomes. And I mentioned that I also had the 102 in a startup I was doing over with the ship chasing guys. And I drafted Patrick Mahomes and was trying to move out of him. Uh, Another manager moved up after Josh Allen had been selected at the 101 and, and got Josh Allen or the Josh Allen manager moved back and traded away Allen. That, that manager was at the 111, and so that trade was for the 111 for a fifth-round startup pick uh, outright, not a trade down, just the pick outright, and a 2023 first. So that 111 ended up becoming Kyle Pitts. You're going to get a nice other piece in the fifth round of the startup in a future first. My initial response or initial thought was that maybe that was actually still a little bit light on Allen's value because there's just so much obviously with Allen and the offense that he's in and playing the quarterback position there are not really a lot of comparables there's basically six premium quarterbacks but I think even Allen and Mahomes are sort of a a step above but the others would be you know Herbert Lamar Kyler and Burrow and then you're a step down, I think, to to Deshaun Watson and Dak and Russell Wilson and there's Lance and, and and Fields and Hertz and Stafford and there's still some other names, but all those guys are going to be you know gone by the end of the second round in a startup. Um, in this particular draft, the six quarterbacks I mentioned went one through six. The pick at eleven ended up being Kyle Pitts, which I thought was a really smart pick for that person who traded out of Josh Allen. But I, as I thought about it more, 
think that's a really nice trade. If you're going to, you know, give up Allen, you get Kyle Pitts, who's, you know, he's not a quarterback, but he's still like you in your dynasty tiers have them in the same tier. But we have talked about how like maybe Allen and Mahomes are. Yeah, they might belong in a super tier because clearly they're not being traded at the same value. But, but Pitts I, I is just, a premium I, non-quarterback. So he is. Yeah, premium I mean, non-quarterback. Right. Is I mean, there are only four guys who aren't quarterbacks in that top tier for me. Chase, Jefferson, Taylor, and Pitts. And you might even say, we, we talked about the, the trade that Monty Fon and I did where we moved into Taylor from Burrow. There were a few other things involved, but it was a pretty close one for one. But I think that, you know, you could easily argue that Taylor is the least value of all of those guys because Kyle Pitts, unless something goes wrong, I mean, we expect him to go and I mean, you see some of the trades still that happen for Travis Kelsey and they're absurd because of just how much of a field tilter Kelsey has been. You know, you look at the situation with Mark Andrews, even with how their offense probably becomes run heavy again, or at least more balanced than you would like to see. You look at the situation with Waller, who's older, you have Kittle who is older now and again there are offensive concerns if you have one of these guys who's an elite talent and an offense that has the pass volume i don't know i mean i i love this trade for the person who moved back i think it makes sense for the other person as well i mean one of the things is when you execute a trade like this then the key thing is not so much to worry like was it a good trade was it a bad trade but just continue to execute your plan because once you have josh allen now if you don't make egregious mistakes as you build you're going to have a good team right yeah. so even though you've you've spent a lot you're going to have a good team the same thing though can be true for the other manager and, and maybe even to have more ceiling because now you have kyle pitts this extra pick you know future picks this is one of those fun ones where i think it works out for both sides and sure. but it creates very different scenarios for both sides so now they have different things that they have to accomplish yep and and like we always say sort of a win-win when you're starting at the 111 you're not going to be able to get a premium quarterback if you want to win now you're going to have to to trade up to do that this is sort of setting the stage for the mahomes deal that i did end up making and it was just this morning and i traded with a, a listener to the show who goes by the name bullock and i i mean i i was really impressed with what he was doing early on in this because he starts at the 107 and the six quarterbacks had gone and he trades back and somebody came up to take Jamar Chase. We were now outside of sort of the premium quarterback window. So then he had two seconds. He traded back from both of those seconds. And so then he had three thirds. And uh, he had picked up an additional fifth in the startup. So he had six picks between the third and the fifth round. So you, you now have six picks in the first five rounds. But they're all in the third to fifth range. But in doing so, he also picked up an additional 2023 first. 2023 second, 2024 first, and 2024 second. So now he has four first round picks over the next two years, four second round picks over the next two years. Just an absolute war chest and a situation where if he executes decently on the lesser QBs, this is going to be just an absolute juggernaut. Yeah. And so was really impressed with how he did that. But when I got up on the clock at 2.11, he kind of reached out and wanted to talk about potentially uh, trading. And he wound up, we wound up making a deal where I traded Mahomes and that 2.11. And so he gives up a good chunk of that war chest to make it happen. But what I love about this 
is if you're in in contrast to the to the Josh Allen trade, if you want to trade up, I think the Josh Allen trade was fine. Like we were talking about the the guy who made that trade goes by the name Chess Liam in a lot of places. Those of you who follow the major um best ball tournaments will know that he won the million dollars on underdog last year in the the BBM. He will definitely be able to draft a good team around Josh Allen. No, no question in my mind about that. But when you decide that you're going to trade up for a superstar like that from your first round pick, like Liam did, you lose some things along the way. You lose that fifth round pick and that future first. What Bullock did is he essentially took his one seven draft spot and traded up into Patrick Mahomes. But because he did the trade downs first, which is what we're often always talking about, the, the way the deal ended up being was Mahomes in the 212, and I got back one of his three-thirds, his fourth and his fifth. I also sent back my 15th. So the first and second that I gave him became basically a third and a fourth. They're both like two different trade backs. The fifth that I also got in the startup uh, was a trade-up for me from the 15th round, a very significant trade-up. And then I got two... Uh, both of his 2023 first round picks. So now I'll have three first round picks in the 2023 draft. That helps me do this productive struggle and, and move that direction, which I was hoping to do with this team. I also got his 2023 second, but I sent him my 2024 second. So we just kind of shifted that. He still retains one 2023 second. That's all he'll, and then, and his later picks in 2023, but he, he, he traded me both of his 2023 first but he also still retains two 2024 firsts and now he has three 2024 seconds. So he has actually a nice war chest built out into 2024. And also in the startup, he got Mahomes. He got Mark Andrews with that pick in the second round in a tight end premium, very nice second round pick. He traded me a three, four, five, but because he had accumulated two extra thirds and an extra fifth, he still has two thirds. Doesn't have a four, but has a five. So he basically, you know, in terms of startup value, has moved his fourth pick into the third round, in addition to moving up into Mahomes in the first round. So multiple moves up, move ups in the startup, where he's now accumulated more startup value than he started with, clearly. And while he doesn't have a 2023 first, he still has that 2023 second. And he's accumulated two additional 2024 seconds and one additional 2024 first so now we can build this team with a Mahomes but he and he asked me if we could do a 2023 first and a 2024 first I told him that was a pretty big sticking point for me because if I'm going to do the productive struggle I want a lot of value in 2023 I need to start building next year for him I think it's it was a little bit less important on the flip side for those same reasons he's going to build a team now with Mark Andrews and Patrick Mahomes he still you still want 2023 picks and he still has a second but he can basically put this team that he's going to build out there for the next two years. And then in 2024, then be fine to, to be competitive. And then in 2024, he'll still have both of those firsts and the three seconds. If he wants to move back into 2023, he can use some of that value probably to trade back into 2023. I told him I'll probably be looking to move some of my 2023 value when it's all said and done into 2024, like you and I did on a recent show. So maybe we have a future trade in the works, but he is going to be building a, a competitive team now that can compete for a couple of years and still in, he, he did stretch obviously out into 2024 with a lot of the rookie picks that he picked up. But I, what I love about this is he, he trades up for Mahomes, but does it in a way where he doesn't sacrifice startup value and doesn't really sacrifice future pick value in my mind. And this kind of reminds me of our league last year, 
where we moved back, moved back, moved back, and eventually had a trade that, again, made sense for both sides, where we moved back up and we got Kyler Murray. And so even with that final trade, we were very well positioned to where we have the foundation quarterback, we have the picks in the future rookie draft, which we did the recent show on. And then it was almost a situation where because of that Kyler Murray selection, now he wasn't hot down the stretch by any means, but we did slightly better than we were hoping, right? We made the playoffs, finished last, which if we missed the playoffs, then you're hoping that maybe a playoff caliber team can get the one-on-one, right? So again, kind of some interesting dynamics with that element of it. But one of the things that I love in terms of what you're talking about here is that in leagues where both the 2023 and 2024 startup picks are available to move, you, you want to use both, I think. And uh, I mean, number one, the 2024 picks are not as valuable for the reasons you just mentioned, but also psychologically, people are much more willing to part with them. And so this is a great example, I think, of perpetual reloading, right? Where you draft a young team, a team that you know is going to be good through these next couple of years. And then right at the time where maybe some of your guys are starting to get a little bit older, we talk about playing the guys for two years and then trading them still at peak value. You hit this time period where you're loaded with the reloading picks. And so not only can you make those picks, but you might, might want to move out of some of these guys that you selected in this original startup. It's also a reason that I do think a lot of these leagues would benefit and obviously leagues are structured in a variety of different ways but if you're going to play a dynasty league i would encourage people to have as much of the buy-in up front as possible so that everyone is incentivized to at least deal with the consequences of their actions right and if you want to go and, and win now that's very justified and it's one of the things that's fun about dynasty is this mix of approaches and having teams that are trying to win now is, is one of the things that makes the startup varied and rich and fun if everybody is trying to do the exact same thing then obviously nobody can do anything you just sit there and make your picks right because everybody has the exact same approach to it but the teams that are making this move 2024 that makes a lot of sense i mean you don't want to be in a situation where the people who tried to win right away leave the league and then you have some orphans maybe that are dead for a long time and you certainly don't want the league to fold i don't think any of those things are remotely a consideration with what you're talking about but just big picture as we're thinking about how these leagues should work, you know, try and make sure that that everyone does have to, again, the consequences of what they do. And hopefully those consequences are winning the title, right? But if you, if you make some bad moves, you want to stick around and be the person who also then fixes those mistakes. Yeah. I mean, when you're dealing off the 2024 picks and it, it can feel a little bit like if your team's not good right away, that you don't have a way to actually make it good. And that that's tough. I mean, I, I did that in a league a couple of years ago where, I had a window that was closing and traded off the 2022, the 2021 and 2022 stuff to continue to make runs. And then it's tough. Cause you're like, I, I can't really do anything to improve my roster and I don't want to trade away from 2023. And so I kind of just took my lumps and I'm starting to trade now into future picks and 2023 will be the first time that I'll have uh, some of my top picks for a couple of years, but it's, you know, it, it sucks. You take your lumps for a couple of years eventually for me it'll be next year you're going to have that opportunity again to make some rookie picks and rebuild your team and that's what i'm excited to, to finally do with that roster but ideally if you're making those types of moves you're doing it also into players that 
you could then resell if you needed to for for picks. And so like the person who traded away all those picks traded up and got Jamar Chase also wound up trading up and getting Justin Jefferson. Okay, well, now you have the two two of the four non-premium QBs we were talking about, where if you do get in a tough spot and there is an in-season trade window in this league, it's a best ball, but with an in-season trade window, you can move one of those guys for a lot of the, that pick value back probably. So that, that that is an opportunity that will be there for that individual. But yeah, I just really wanted to highlight, well, one, I'm, obviously I'm happy with the trade that I made, uh, especially because on our last show, we talked about, I just traded into Mahomes in a league where I felt like I, it was worth giving up a lot and making a competitive run in my roster. I felt like it was ready. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I could definitely build another Mahomes team, but I just thought it'd be more fun to do the, you know, the productive struggle with this roster. So I'm happy to have accumulated, uh, a, you know, additional picks in the startup as well as additional, a, a lot of 2023 firepower now. But I, I really wanted to highlight what the other drafter did in moving up to Mahomes, but doing it in a way where they still move back. Cause we're always talking about this, this idea and you can't in every league and some leagues you get in that people always want to move back with this. And you talked about, we did it in ours as well. We moved back, back, back. We ended up trading up for Kyler. So it's almost like if you want to move up, if you want to be competitive in year one, your best option is still to trade back <laughs> as counterintuitive as that may seem. If you can trade back and make wins, you can build enough to then in potentially still in the startup, move back into that trade up player that you wanted. You just have to be patient. Yeah. I really like the way that he orchestrated that whole thing. And this just sounds like such a cool league that you're doing. What are some of the other players sort of in these first two, three rounds that jump out to you as being sort of interesting decision points or tier breaks or surprises what are you seeing here? You mentioned that there were a lot of QBs going. One of the other things that I think is kind of fun about the Rotovis Triflex Leagues over at the FFPC is that there's a cap on drafting QBs of only three. And that creates kind of the dynamic to where you don't have that one person in your league who thinks that having like six or seven is going to give them kind of the monopoly on trade value with the QBs. I mean, that damages the league again, which is something that, you know, we're, we're looking to not have happen. But it also does deflate the QB ADPs a little bit because drafters know that they're not going to be completely locked out. Probably you were saying that the second round in your league was very QB heavy. It was. So it started with those six QBs that I mentioned. Chase went seven, Watson went eight, Jefferson and AJ Brown. And then at one eleven, uh, you mentioned that Taylor maybe was the lowest of the non QBs or, or maybe should go the lowest. The, uh, individual who traded out of the Josh Allen pick did have their their choice of Kyle Pitts or Jonathan Taylor. I, I actually liked that they took Pitts and tight end premium. I feel like he's going to probably hold his value longer in a startup. I, I'm right there with you. And so Taylor went 112, Lamb went uh, 201, and then the next round went Lance, Prescott, Wilson, Hertz, Matthew Stafford, uh, T. Higgins, and Debo go. And then Trevor Lawrence and DeAndre Swift. And that's where I was on the clock at 211. A lot of QBs had gone in, in that list. And, you know, obviously I just read a lot of names. That's not always great audio. But a lot of those were QBs. It was the point I was trying to make. I was on the clock there with a Mahomes team. And you're asking for interesting names. The biggest name that the names that were standing out to me were Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> were like, I didn't necessarily want to build that way, but especially with, with Cup, I'm looking at it like I can start a roster with Patrick Mahomes and Cooper Cup. This feels like a pretty good pretty good way to build a team. 
And I was seriously considering that. I mean, he he's obviously not likely to hold his value as well at his age. And the same would be true for Christian McCaffrey. Andrews was the other name I was going to consider if I wasn't able to move out. Probably would have been my pick. And then Brees Hall, I think, would have been in that discussion as well. And is a player that you recently on the show talked about having actually moved ahead of McCaffrey in Dynasty, even as you and I both still think McCaffrey could have one of those seasons that makes makes you basically impossible to lose almost because he just has basically only ever been that player. He should still be in the discussion for the one-on-one and redraft. I think I, I certainly made that case earlier this offseason. You've you've convinced me a little bit to to back off and I'm feeling more comfortable with Taylor being the one-on-one at this stage of the offseason. But I'm going to be excited to draft some McCaffrey this year and redraft in every format. I still think very, very highly of him. Uh, highly enough that it's worth the risk, even at his age, I think, to go after him and say, well, this guy can probably do this for a few more years, even though he's had some injury concerns. So it's very interesting to me. Waddle goes behind that. Cup goes 301. So to see, I mean, there's a, a definitely a youth lean here, and rightfully so in Dynasty, a lot of smart drafters. But at a certain point, Cooper Cup and, and Christian McCaffrey and those types of players, if you want to win now, I mean, they're they're obviously great players to have on your roster to try to win now. It's interesting. Where do you think those types of guys would fall? I mean, you as someone who are always taking youth, at what point would you pull the trigger on those types of top five redraft assets that don't have the long-term value? They become very interesting in that range. And it is, I think, this sort of tension between how startups work and how more mature leagues work, and even leagues in kind of their second year where you have your team a little bit more set and you know what some of the trade-offs are going to be because it's a little bit more set. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Those quarterback names, I, I don't necessarily feel like they should all be in the second round. I think that you've got a player with Trevor Lawrence where there's potentially a lot of risk. 
I think that you have a player with Matthew Stafford where, yes, we would expect him to continue to play for a while and he's going to have some good weapons. He's going to have some good coaching. But, I mean, do you have the combination of upside and longevity that you want to pay that type of price? Especially, I think they're going to have an explosive season. They're going to score a lot of points. I mean, he, he's got Cooper Cup. I mean, just how bad can you be? But we did see them pull back a little bit last year down the stretch and i think that gets overshadowed some because they do go out and win the super bowl but and we saw some of those matthew stafford mistakes that the lions always had to deal with i mean matthew stafford is just just incredible talent and you know when he was out there playing with megatron it was the most must watch tv in the nfl even though the lions unfortunately weren't that great but you know i struggle with some of those picks in there and then this that tension between the positional value for a young guy and then the absurd upside for a player that maybe there's not as much positional value, depending again on how you look at it. Because in Dynasty, the, the positional value in any given year is still significant, right? And then someone who's an absolute star. So one of the trades I've been looking at in one of my leagues, and it's it's tough because these are big players and there are other pieces involved and you know both sides have a hard time kind of letting go of the person that they have and they don't want to make a move that in six months they're like i just completely destroyed my roster with i have a a team that i drafted with sam wallace where we have trevor lawrence he was our first pick we did the move we traded out of the first round and into the middle of the second round and lawrence fell to us which at this point is disappointing because he was terrible as a rookie right it would have been great if he had actually gone at adp and we picked somebody else but even with that terrible season, he's maintained a lot of his value. You just mentioned him being actually drafted in the same general vicinity that we drafted him at. He is ahead of CMC in you know general ADP and in a lot of different formats. We then made some different moves as the draft developed to where our league was not as QB heavy as some are. I mean, One of the first things that you want to do in a super flex startup is start to get a feel for where the quarterbacks are going to go. And if you're going to have that run in the second round or not, because I've seen, I've been in a number of leagues where those quarterbacks go early. And that definitely is an important thing to be aware of what the prices are going to be, where you need to go, you know, what the trade values you're going to get. I've also been involved in leagues where everybody is essentially playing chicken on the second tier and they go much, much later. And then that tends to have a trickle down effect where the third tier will go much later. And so we ended up with Tom Brady, Derek Carr, Mac Jones. You know, Brady decides to keep playing. Mac Jones and Derek Carr both see their values jump a little bit. And so then you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got the three. And, you know, maybe there'll be some future picks. There are some things I can do to add some guys. We also made, this was a pre-NFL draft, rookie draft. And we drafted Howell and Ritter. So we have those QBs as well. And you're looking at that and saying, Trevor Lawrence is someone I could definitely trade for a Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, even now with McCaffrey and the injuries and the age, there's a very strong chance that you can get back out of him if he has the season this year that we're expecting. And so I think that McCaffrey versus Lawrence is a pretty interesting one. And then, Ben, you said that you thought you were going to take Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is one of my favorite players in the NFL. I think he's obviously one of the top two or three tight ends he tends to jump around based on how much the ravens have thrown recently and so my question for you would be i i've been lucky on this one because i've been able to sort of buy high and 
I've been able to buy low and sell high, not the other way around. And and that has worked out great with Andrews. Is he someone we would want to be selling? I made a big blockbuster trade in one of my leagues just the other day to move Andrews to a team that was going to be more competitive. This one has Debbie and frankly, most of my guys are, are college players. I have Patrick Mahomes and college guys. So uh, when I tell family members about it, they always want to know how many points those college guys score for me on Sunday. They're scoring a lot on Saturday, okay? <laughs> they They're just like, if we could just go back. No. So I think that element of it is also interesting. You said you were thinking about taking Andrews, Andrews over Cooper Cup in that spot. Yeah, largely because I felt like he was sort of this happy medium. I wasn't necessarily thrilled. And Andrews is a guy I think I've talked about on the show that I'm not super in on for redraft necessarily but in a tight end premium especially in a best ball setting at his age i mean he's not young but i feel very comfortable knowing that he's going to get me a lot of you know strong weeks and then in best ball i also don't have to take the down weeks when they get very run heavy right so there's this element of how much are the ravens passing lately but i think some of it's going to be on a week-to-week basis Certainly they showed us last week, last year, they're willing to throw more on a week to week basis. Whereas in the prior years, they were maybe even running one down more. And so there's that element of, okay, well, if I have a, you know, I don't want to have to invest too much more at tight end if I am taking a tight end that high, but if I have other production at tight end, I can at least get a little bit of a floor or a baseline. If Andrews does have some one or two catch games, some really poor games, but he provides a tight end ceiling that is right there with the, the elite tight ends. And there's maybe only five guys that can really put up the the 30 point games at tight end or more. And so, and then you look at it from a dynasty perspective as well. Any concerns about his price relative to redraft, which I do think is a little high based on how much they threw last year. I mean, I've talked about this on the show, I think, but coming into last year, Mark Andrews career high was about 350 routes in a season. He ran more than 600 last year. So it was, it was an element where his route share went up to – he had always been sort of a part-time route runner, not not a 90% route guy. And then he went up into that 90% range, and they had a season where they had 600 dropbacks, which is something the Ravens had, had not had in, in his career yet. They mostly had been sub-500 in terms of their overall dropbacks. And so you look at that, you say, okay, their, their dropbacks can come back to the 500 range. They might not run Andrews on 90% of routes again, although I do think he's kind of broken through that ceiling and our expectation should be that he is close to a full-time route runner now going forward. But his routes probably have to come down this year when you talk about that big of a jump to a new career high. It wasn't that he was any better necessarily. It was just that he ran a ton more routes. And that's absolutely the kind of guy that I think is probably going to wind up overvalued for redraft in those types of formats. But like I said, in a best ball and a tight end premium in this type of setting at his age, I it wasn't a pick I was thrilled to make, which is part of what was driving the trade out on Mahomes at that point and, and trying to trade both. Cup was right there for me. The other consideration, as we talk about a lot, being young, even as you're building a win-now team, was Brees Hall. And I, I think actually before I took Cup, I might have next taken Hall, even though I don't necessarily want to take a running back that high especially in a deep super flex best ball, I almost want to be zero RB, right? I want to be deep at receiver. I want to have QBs. I want to have tight ends. I can't pull from all of those positions to build my running back, but to get one anchor RB that's a Brees Hall type, I think would have been doable and something that I would have been okay with as well. So it was a, it was a tough call at that spot. 
I was also looking at just trading down into the early part of the third with that second round pick and kind of seeing how it played out. But like I said, I think, you know, seeing the guy who traded with me coming in and taking Andrews was maybe even more confirmation for me that that's probably the direction I would have went at on that spot. Are you saying you would have probably taken Cup? Let's say you couldn't have traded out. Who would you have taken there? I wouldn't have taken Cup. I, I just can't can't draft the the older players. And I, I think it... I think Cooper Cup is good. I think he's going to have, I mean, when I say good, I mean really good. And it will have multiple more dominant seasons. But the risk there at that price with so many other guys is so great. And all we have to do is look back to a Michael Thomas to see that, like the worst case scenario of it. But there's risk there and there's just the other types of players. And this is one of the reasons why I think moving into round three, four, five, like you've done, having multiple picks in those rounds, it's just really the way to play it because these super flex leagues, it's, it's harder if your team isn't good, but if you have a juggernaut, you can definitely win with weaker QBs. As long as you make through, you make sure you work that position. I mean, you're talking about in round three guys that you can get like T Higgins, Jalen Waddle. And if you're a, a Matt Corral believer, you know, even DJ Moore, you're looking in rounds four and, you know, some of this stuff is going to be very much in flux still this close to the rookie draft but i mean those rookies and one of the things you said about the 2022 guys i mean Traylon burks drake london uh, e- even garrett wilson with the landing spot you know you're gonna have to be a little more patient with jamison williams but especially if you've moved back I mean, there's almost you know again we're i think everybody is anti-tanking at least in theory but if you're really focusing on 2020 three than drafting a player who isn't actually going to be in their scoring points in that first half and kind of propping up your your points and pushing you into the playoffs if that's not really your goal or pushing you into the middle in a league where being in the middle is actually the worst thing those types of guys have such huge value the the upside potential for them is extreme they can score a lot of points for you and one of the things they just you know think there in terms of kyle pitts I like Mark Andrews, even with the concerns, because he just is so good. And yet, when you look at how close together they're going, even if it's a full round and you think about where they are in their career trajectories, the potential for Pitts to be this massive win for you is still much, much greater than Mark Andrews. And I think that you're looking for that similar potential type of win late in round two, in round three, in round four, We've talked a lot about how 2022 is going to be this really crazy, I think, fun season because some elements of the running back dead zone and the sort of wide receiver golden tier are flipped. But when you're looking at Dynasty, that range in Superflex is so dynamic, and I think there are so many young wide receivers to be very excited about. So you didn't answer the question. You it sounds like you you said you wouldn't take Cup. It sounds like you wouldn't take Andrews either. So you can't trade out of the two eleven. Who are you drafting then? I think I'm going to take Brees Hall because I don't think that he's Jonathan Taylor, but I think he's better than people are giving credit for. I think that within that Jets offense, one of the things that we hear a lot is that a player is going to lose some touches, and it, it really does kind of depend on what touches they lose. That's gonna bounce around some so when we're looking at either the high value touches in the stealing signals tool or you're looking at 
the running back expected points in the weekly stat explorer when you're going to see some jumping around in terms of ep based on like just how valuable the specific touches are that hall gets versus carter for example but we're not looking for the running back to get 350 400 touches anyway right and so if they have a solid second running back who can keep some of these drives going if the wide receivers can be decent if zach wilson can come around then i mean there there is at least a mild element of you know rising tide lifts all boats in a way that we didn't see last year with the steelers because it all was harris we've suggested some of that is on him but some of it is just that it wasn't a great context for him to actually outperform his expected points he wasn't going to have great fantasy points over expectation based on how he was being used and the overall ability of the offense at that point and so i guess my thesis is the jets are going to be decent and Brees hall is going to be awesome and the lost touches are not going to kill him i think you can play him you can take the points i think you're going to be able to move him so i like that part of it but if you gave me the option to trade down and take t higgins or jalen waddle that would be very hard to pass up as well and Jalen Waddle went the very next pick. I assume Higgins will go soon. This is, there's another element here in terms of knowing your league that I've been thinking about during this draft. Well, this is people that have – a lot of them that I've talked with have our listeners are stealing bananas. They're involved in the ship chasing group, which we we know, obviously, Pat and Peter, incredibly intelligent. When we do some, some best ball drafts over there, we, it's often just really receiver heavy, and I'm expecting this startup to be – not a running back drafters or a running back drafters dream, frankly, because they could get a lot of running back value if they wanted. But uh, some of those values you talked about in terms of what rounds I can, you know, you could potentially get some of these receivers. I'm going to add a round to almost all of those for this league. Um, it has been very QB heavy, but I'm expecting a lot of receivers to start coming off the board. But no, that's very interesting. I One of the ways that I would wrap up your thought on Hall in terms of what I've learned, and we kind of do this from time to time because I'm still learning at Dynasty, and I, I love hearing this stuff from you. I love my conversations with guys like Pat Corain, who teaches me a lot, is you guys seem to be very aware, basically, what if you're wrong on a player? What will his value be? And you mentioned this with Cooper Cup. There are scenarios where if Cooper Cup maybe gets hurt this year or is just comes down quite a bit in terms of his production, at his age, if he goes back to basically being the guy before 2021 or even somewhere in between 20 and 2021, so it's a little bit of a drop-off from 2021, that you're going to lose a lot of dynasty value. Suddenly, he's not what he is right now, Cooper Cup, right? And so if you're wrong about Cooper Cup continuing to be as good, and even if you're right, he basically just gains value or loses some more because he gets a year older. Like we were talking about the Travis Kelsey types who, even as they're amazing, they're just getting older. But if you're, if you're wrong, basically, look at Stephon Diggs. Great example. Stephon Diggs had the incredible 2020. His 2021 is not as good, and his value drops accordingly. Still has a lot of value, and, and Stephon Diggs is still going to go very soon probably in the startup. But you think about where would that guy go in next year's startup if certain things happen. Brees Hall was the one-on-one in rookie drafts this year. Even if some of the negative elements of, of his sort of thesis are true, he's not Jonathan Taylor. He's in more of a committee than we want. The Jets' offense doesn't look great. The enthusiasm that had him at the 101 this year is not going to completely dissipate by next year. It could be bad, but I don't think it would be awful. And so one of one of these things that 
again, like it, it is a, an important consideration. I talked about it with the guy who gave up his 2023 one and two and, and moved on, moved some of those future picks to get up to chase and Jefferson. At least he was taking chase and Jefferson. Right. So if things go wrong, those guys are going to have value a year from now at their age and what they've already done. Look at like a Juju who was incredible and then started struggling. I was trading really good assets for Juju after his first down year because I was like, oh, now's a buy low window, right? And so you say Jefferson and Chase have a really bad year. At their age, they're still going to seem like buy lows to several people. They're still going to have considerable value. So there's that element of it's sort of the inverse of how we draft and redraft sometimes. And I've had to kind of rewire my brain to 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 come around to the to this. But in redraft for me, it's like all upside. You know, I, I don't really care if the player can bottom out. There's no long-term risk. What are you gonna, you know, you're gonna have misses and you deal with that in, in that one year. In dynasty, that bottom out risk is a pretty significant thing. Every time I talk to you guys, and when and what I keep learning is this idea that. Even as you were sitting there talking about the merits of Brees Hall in 2022 or what his career could be, I know a big element of that is not that you think Brees Hall is going to be better than Cooper Cup this year or else we would draft him in the first round of redraft, or you don't think he's going to be better than CMC or even Mark Andrews in tight end premium, but it's that Brees Hall at his age and at his profile and, and being the rookie 101 this year has enough clout in the fantasy community that even if 2022 was bad, and there's been a lot of research, you reference Pat's old work on this all the time, as a, as a 21-year-old rookie running back coming in, he's probably not going to lose value. And you can then trade him next offseason and not have it be a catastrophic thing to your long-term dynasty team. Anyway, I think that's a really important consideration. It took me a while to learn with dynasty is just this idea of how bad can it get if I'm wrong? The younger players, it's always less bad. And with Hall, I mean, you're thinking about those negative scenarios, and it really would need to be something like a combination of the worst parts of Harris and the worst parts of Javante Williams, where you're both inefficient and you're mired in this committee, and maybe even something else to knock him down quite a bit. And even then, right, you're going to have this sort of bounce back scenario where when you think about what Trent Richardson's value was after his down rookie season you know there are going to be chances to get back out but also there are bounce back scenarios to where he could actually just do very well for you and so like Brees Hall, cooper cup one where a little bit like the trevor lawrence cmc scenario gave i think that that's another one where it's maybe more appealing in a slightly more mature league even just the second year where you think about the team that we have in the rv triflex if we had a good offer for Cooper Cup, we would have to look at that really seriously, right? Because at this point, we've already built in now the depth and the youth to where if we wanted to also then feather in one superstar who's a little bit older, that's fine. Because we now have guaranteed ourselves the amount of youth and future value that that pick can't hurt us that much and it could help us a ton. But the startup is your chance to actually build that. And so you have to take advantage of it in the startup because you're not going to be able to do the same things with cup. Number one, because you made a pick as opposed to moving down. And then number two, how that works within the context of the rest of the draft. I mean, the very fact that he's there still gives you at, at least a little bit of sense of how people are going to value him. Now there are still very good players left in that draft, obviously. And we've talked about that, but I like him as somebody that if you built 
this extremely deep and it would be even preferable in like a 30 roster spot league as opposed to a 20 roster spot league because then you can definitely add him to your roster and the consequences are are minimal if you've got a young team with future rookie value and so don't think of it in terms of we can't ever have these guys when you're trying to build this dynasty you want to score more points on the other team and you just want to be aware of the price and aware of the situation when you add those guys in I mean, Cooper Cup could go out there and score 23, 24 points per game again this season and and be the reason that you win the league. And so we don't want to diminish the value of that as well. Yeah. I mean, again, like we were saying, at a certain point, it gets very interesting. <laughs> and I was looking at Cooper Cup quite a bit. And look, if he, if he continued to fall into the third round, like at what point do you like, obviously you have to consider the value of that. But like you said, that is most valuable when you can essentially just ride him out. I remember that's something that uh, fantasy douche or, you know, a road of his founder that we talk about stuff that he wrote about years ago from time to time. He would talk about that with Calvin Johnson a lot where essentially Calvin Johnson was an elite player until he retired and he retired early, but and so that was disappointing for dynasty managers, but you weren't going to get anywhere close to fair trade value is sort of the way that that fantasy douche would put it. And so you, are in a position where it doesn't make sense to move him because he's so productive. And so you're just riding that to zero basically. And again, that did not pan out very well for Calvin Johnson managers in dynasty because he did retire so early. But if you, like, like you said, have already accomplished the roster where you have enough youth and you have enough pieces getting the immediate production that you can ride to zero, essentially on a Cooper cup, and uh, using the rest of it to, to still have value into future years and have a roster that can be competitive and perpetually reload as we're always talking about makes perfect sense. Then, you, then you're just even better in, you know, in year one. And certainly, you know, you can wind up. This is something where, you know, we talk about this a lot. You don't just want to have only young players. I mean, we've made these moves on our team. We, we ended up taking Michael Thomas at a certain point last year and Odell Beckham. And we're thinking about removing them, but we we're also saying, Hey, maybe we can kind of productive struggle, but win in year one. I mean, maybe we went and got Kyler and, and we're like, maybe this team can be good enough to win. We, you mentioned we ended up making the playoffs because, and even without Michael Thomas, but we did have some productive players, but this is something that I was going to say, as we talk through it, we maybe don't hit on enough this idea of when is it time to actually get some some real production on your roster and so i think that was a really good point about cup you can get in the case when you're sean especially that he described with his debbie league where he's going to have more than half of his roster be college players and he has patrick mahomes and i mean that's very fun but certainly you could go a little bit too far probably right i mean is that is that too far there's the the it's, there's no there's no such thing there's no such thing as no too far you can't ever be be too far we won't tell you there's too much thing as too far on this show but probably using some of that type of firepower if you're in that type of situation not necessarily debbie but with future picks and things to then be super competitive in the first couple of years and still have the long-term value like you were just describing with a team that might acquire cooper cup maybe other people would say that's smart <laughs> Well, I think the great point there, and again, you know, we started out the show 
by mentioning a team that had traded back and had these picks now in round nine and round 10. One of the things that you will find, I, I think the key thing with drafting the veterans in a startup is just make sure you do it at the right spots, right? It, it's going to be so tempting to take the cup and, you know, depending Christian McCaffrey, Travis Kelsey, but the huge values that you get come at the very next level down. And you mentioned the Odell Beckhams and the Michael Thomas, you know, when you're talking about eight, nine, 10, you said we got some productive veterans. Those guys actually didn't, didn't do anything, didn't do anything. but, but the names were good. They were retradable as it turned out, even after that year. And there was a scenario where it would have worked out. And that's the scenario that you kind of want to play the one that's much, much less expensive. And the one that you can do after you've traded down. So it's fun to, to hear about the league that, that you were doing there, Ben, we appreciate the interaction that we've had with listeners and with readers it's cool to know that this goes out and people are excited to try some of these types of things don't don't tell too many people though we want to be able to, yeah. to still make these moves no if you can tell as many people as possible leave us a rating and review subscribe to the feed we appreciate all of that a ton that will do it for today's episode of stealing bananas ben you and i are going to be doing as you mentioned at the start, we're going to be doing some best ball drafts. We'll do some FFPC. I'm excited to draft an underdog with you. We'll put together some cool teams there. Uh, you had mentioned Brees Hall. I have selected him in the running back dead zone and underdog several times in the last week. We'll get into whether or not we want to do that when we're on the clock in those drafts. So uh, we're excited for those. We're looking forward to sharing them with you. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals. We'd love to have you with us at Underdog using the coupon code Rotoviz for the 100% deposit bonus. Check out the YouTube channel. Uh, just kind of as I'm thinking about that, Ben, and as we're finishing the show, just want to mention what a great job Colin Kelly, our producer, is doing on the pod, on the YouTube. We, we appreciate him so much. One of the nicest guys in the industry, a great podcaster. It was fun to share the third day of the live stream with him. Got some great interaction there as well. So thank you to him. Thank you to all the you listeners. You happen to host a, another show with him that uh, people should check out if they're not listening to. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We have had a lot of fun on Road of His Overtime. Have had some great guests. Then this week, we've got a an underdog draft coming out for the weekend. So people can check that out. I also did sort of a, a zero RB origin story pod kind of talking about some of the things you know well before 2013 and then how that developed and a little bit what's happened since i know for a lot of people it's kind of old hat and not something they're interested in anymore i'm sometimes in that category myself so i don't i don't have any problem with any listener who is in that boat but we do get a lot of requests for that content so we wanted to put that show out there that sounds awesome i haven't seen it i haven't heard it yet but i'm excited to well i appreciate that so so yeah, check out Road of This Overtime. Then we, we appreciate that mention. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon.